0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Mets Legends podcast. I am your host, Michael Jennings, joined as always by the wonderful Rob Pearsall, uh, starring today as recent history Mets legend, Janeshwe Fargus. Uh, Janeshwe, tough break in the Caribbean series to not get, you know, as far as maybe you wanted to, but how's it going today? It's going
1: great. I... I'm still seething that I did not complete that inside the park home run in Miami almost a year ago, <laughs> but here we are. We survive. You didn't I'm look sp- too broken up about it, honestly.
0: Cause you know, did score a couple runs
1: in the moment. I was very hyped up in hindsight. I expect more out of myself. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: <laughs> um, no, speaking How's of it Fargus, it's good, man. Um, You know, the only baseball going on right now has been the Caribbean Series. It just wrapped up a couple days ago as of recording this episode. Um, Columbia won their first ever Caribbean Series, which is pretty cool. And uh, a lot of Mets legends on hand at the Caribbean Series, most notably uh, current Met, Robinson Cano, um, who's had a very good winter at the plate. Um, he was named to the Caribbean series, all-star team uh, led the tournament in RBI with eight. And um, I think that's a really good sign for, you know, a guy that I think a lot of Mets fans have written off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that if you're able to get some sort of production, considering you're paying that person, yeah. I think that that's all you could really ask for. Um, and I, don't particularly like Robinson Um, I'm sorry if he's listening to this, but <laughs> I'm sure um, he is. <laughs> I'm sure he's, I, I'm sure it's the first thing on his agenda, but I mean, he's under contract for two more years. And if he's going to have to be paid, I'd prefer him to be productive as opposed to being really bad. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean,
0: as far as like, How I feel about Robinson Cano, I'm not really sure how to feel about him. Um, Because, I mean, I really do enjoy like watching him play baseball when he's playing well, because he's just so incredibly smooth. Um, He just makes it all look so easy. Um, And that's that's fun to watch for me. But at the same time, yeah, it's like hard to get around the two, you know, PED knocks against him. Um, Or was it three? to get 162. I can't remember. No, it's just two because three
1: is a permanent ban from baseball.
0: That's right. One is 80 games. Two is 162. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean like I don't know. I, I'm encouraged by his results in, in Winter League um, going into the season from like a production standpoint like you said. But, like I don't necessarily know if I like dislike him or not just because like he, he's very much of the steroid era of baseball. Um, you know, should he have gotten knocked a second time? of course not. Um, like that's totally on him, but like I don't know it's just like hard to it's such a complex issue that I'm just definitely not uh like super knowledgeable about. um so I mean, I wish him the best in terms of performance. I just don't really know what to make of him.
1: I think that, and this is a term that I have used several times on this podcast, but he is a symptom of the Wilpon era in Queens. 100%. Um, kind of this. He's, he's like the Brody Van Wagenen
0: poster person, I would say.
1: Yeah. And he really, I think, yeah, like you said, he is the poster boy of Brody Van Wagenen's tenure in New York. Um, just this complete disregard for the farm system. Um, Mm -hmm. And you kind of combine that with the Wilpon's desire to acquire these household names, um, but not knowing how to do it in a way that's really conducive because most of the time they were doing it by acquiring them uh, either via trade at the twilight of their career or doling out big contracts to players that did not warrant it at that time in their career. I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but you look at the Mets not wanting to pay Zach Wheeler, whatever he got paid 25 million annually,
0: yeah. but then
1: they turn around and their logic was why would we pay Zach Wheeler 25 million when we can pay Rick Porcello and Michael Walker 20 million mm-hmm. and we get two for the price of one. And how many times did that ever work out for them? So yeah. uh,
0: only uh-huh. a handful for sure. I mean, like the, the notable exceptions I would say to that would be like a Carlos Delgado, uh, Jose Valentin, guys like that who, who ended up being really good in the twilight of their careers. But for the most part, you're absolutely right. Like it doesn't work out most of the time. And it's very much an old style, an outdated style of baseball that you know paid guys based on what they've done not what they could do um which is just not the way of the game anymore which is which just makes me that much more hopeful for the future given you know the short time that Steve Cohen's been in charge they've really been able to like revamp the farm system um i mean when you look at the the prospects that are available now um like making cracking into the you know MLB pipeline top 100 I think the Mets have what like five guys in the top 100 which is like pretty darn good considering uh you know some really top prospects have gone out the door for not much in return in recent years
1: yeah it was Keith Law who released his top 100 for the athletic and he had he had Francisco Alvarez in the top 10, which I know everyone's very excited about. Um, You had Ronnie Mauricio and Brett Beatty back-to-back at 40 and 41. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mark Vientos, I think, was 71. And then Alex Ramirez snuck in at number 100. That's right. Uh, If you guys want to hear a little bit more about a breakdown of the prospects, that's what I talked about uh, on the last episode of the podcast. Um, I just did basically – Keith was a hundred. Jacob Resnick from SNY's top seventy-five, and then just gave a little bit of analysis myself. But just to kind of put my parting thoughts on the Wilpons, because you know, as everyone knows that listens to this, we could talk about it all day and night. Yeah, but we kind of do, and we kind of do. <laughs> do. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. But I once read an article, and I don't remember exactly what it was. So I'm going to kind of give like an abridged version of this. But essentially, um the Wilpons had a strong desire to emanate success of teams like the Cardinals. And um, you look at the Cardinals who are not a major market team, like they're not by any means. Like, I I don't even know if you'd really can, they're kind of like a mid market team. Like they're not like a really small market team, but you look at what the Cardinals have been doing for years and years and their homegrown talent is always phenomenal I mean you have your Yadier Molina's I'm just thinking of like their their more their recent teams but your Yadier Adam Wainwright yeah Adam Wainwright both those guys have been in the majors for 20 years um I mean Adam Wainwright was was acquired from the Braves as a prospect but I mean he pretty much came up as a rookie with them yeah but spent his whole
0: major league career there to me that's homegrown talent
1: yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Um, but even like your Matt Carpenters, Colton Wong, like mm. Paul Day Young, like there's a lot of guys that that have come up through the Cardinal system that have been productive major leaguers, and then they supplement it with acquiring guys like Nolan Arenado, like Paul Goldschmidt, and they've been doing this for a long time. And they're in our lifetimes, they've been a very successful team, um, and
0: the most I successful was, National League team in history yeah
1: yeah it's true um but Fred Wilpon or Jeff Wilpon one of the two when someone was basically like basically mentioned to them that they should they should approach building the team like the Cardinals way I, I don't know if it was Jeff or Fred but one of them was like we don't want to do it the Cardinals way we want to do it the Mets way <laughs> and the Mets way I guess Clearly is, the Mets way has not been working for a long yeah. time I mean, if you want to continue acquiring <laughs> Roberto Alomar's and Mo Vaughn's and um, yeah. Roger Cedeno and all those type of guys, I mean, by all means. But thankfully, they don't have to do that anymore um, in New York. But then you're right; the Mets farm system is kind of on the up and up. It's a little bit of a top-heavy system, um, but you do have some guys in the top, like you know top 10, 15, uh within the system that are appealing. Um, and so that's something to look forward to, especially um you know you look at the last couple years how how thin it's been it's kind of nice to see it on the up and up and they have I think six like pretty high draft picks in this upcoming draft so and and that includes two first rounders so um that'll be exciting for sure yeah um but I mean speaking
0: of which right (laughs) I mean I think this leads right into what we were going to talk about today um Adrian Gonzalez <laughs> yeah yeah Adrian Gonzalez at all um
1: <laughs> he's so, uh
0: he's one of many that we're going to that we're going to deep dive into but uh go ahead Rob was, this was your idea so
1: so yeah so Adrian Gonzalez retired at the time of this recording um a mere hour or so ago and it kind of sparked an idea in me uh, to talk about guys that either played for the Mets in the twilight of their careers had cups of coffee for the team or might've just been minor leaguers uh, or spring training invites. And there's a lot of guys like you could probably, if you looked back, you could probably feel the whole team full of these guys, which maybe we'll do. That'd be pretty fun. That would be pretty fun. Adrian Gonzalez. My lasting memory of him in Queens is it was actually my last semester of college. Um, it was like a Sunday night and the Mets were playing the nationals on ESPN, like Sunday night baseball. And Mm -hmm. uh, he hit a grand slam and this was, I guess early in the season. So it might've been like April or something. And that 2019 Mets team, no 2018 Mets team got off to that ridiculously hot start where they were like 11 and one or 12 and two. Mm -hmm. And I remember that. Yeah. And Adrian Gonzalez hit that grand slam and you're like, Oh my God, he's the truth. He's back. The Mets are getting Padres Adrian Gonzalez or Dodgers Adrian Gonzalez. And then he proceeded to absolutely suck for to be basically red side. Adrian Gonzalez, but worse. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But Adrian Gonzalez retired today. Um, And like congrats,
0: congrats on an amazing career for him. I mean, he was he was one of the premier first basemen, um, you know, as we were kind of growing up. He, you know, I always, whenever the Mets would face like the Dodgers or the Padres, um, I feel like, you know, it wasn't as often as like in division um, obviously, but like I always felt like he absolutely clobbered Mets pitching.
1: He did, absolutely. He had that really sweet left-handed swing. Um, and as a person who is also a left-handed first baseman, uh, I always really liked Adrian Gonzalez. Uh, he was in that tier of players that were not superstars, but I feel like when we were growing up, and obviously every era has them, but there's so many guys that I could pinpoint that were very, very good—not Hall of Famers, but had really great careers. You know, mm-hmm. you look at guys like Troy Glouse and Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and uh to a certain degree i think you could put evan longoria in that category um, he might be
0: borderline though like i feel like he he might even take that next step um uh, depending on what he continues to do with his career like i think if he if he compiles enough stats it could be a very interesting conversation for the hall of fame for him
1: yeah it's true i mean he definitely will get some votes there'll definitely be some conversation um i mean you look at third base and he was probably for a period of time the best third baseman in baseball so um it's kind of one of those things where it's kind of like joe mauer too where he'll, where he'll probably get some conversation yeah. about being inducted into a hall of fame as well
0: i mean if character is as important as it seems to be on character alone both of those guys would be in the hall of fame <laughs> joe mauer and evan longoria
1: i love both those guys uh yeah. really love, like two of my favorite players uh from the mlb um
0: I mean, that's that's just as much a compliment to them as it is a, a diss to the Hall of Fame.
1: It's such a mess. It's such a mess. I mean, I just don't know how David Ortiz was the only one to get in this year. And I like David Ortiz a lot, but mm-hmm. David Ortiz also did steroids. And uh, I think it's kind of like you knowingly let David Ortiz in when he did steroids. So what is the issue with Bonds and McGuire at this point? And right. you're trying to set a precedent of no steroids, a guy like back. And like, Clemens for that matter. Exactly. And Clement, I mean, Clemens pitched for, you know, 20 years and was great. Um, and like 300 game winner.
0: Yeah. As much as I personally dislike Roger Clemens, he of course. deserves to be in the hall of fame.
1: Yeah. I hate Roger Clemens, but I mean, you know, I agree with you. Uh, but yeah, Adrian Gonzalez, happy retirement. Um, and thank you for sparking today's topic of the podcast, which is like we said, guys who maybe were Mets prospects and were traded before they debuted guys that were invited to spring training and maybe never made it to a major league game, uh, regular season game for that matter. Um, guys that were, uh, were in the twilight of their career and had cups of coffee. Um, do you want me to start off, Mike? Do you want to go back and forth with this or some of the guys that we talked about before the podcast? Yeah, let's do that. Want...
0: I think that's a good idea.
1: you want me to start? You want to start?
0: Um, I can start with probably one of the more interesting ones. Um, yeah, I, one. I, have, I have like two or three uh, and one that I, we definitely didn't talk about before the podcast. But the, to me, the most interesting just like total career um, was Jose Bautista to me. He got just slapped around from organization to organization for how good of a player he was. It's surprising how much he was moved around, um, kind of before he, he made his debut all the way back in when was that 2004? Um, so he was drafted by the pirates in 2000. Um, he was then picked up by the Orioles in the rule five draft in 2003. Um, who then, so because of the Rule 5 draft, he had to be on a 40-man roster. They waived him, and he was picked up by Tampa Bay, and then he was purchased by the Kansas City Royals and then traded by the Royals to the Mets for Justin Huber. This is all in 2004, right? Selected off, or sorry, he was drafted in the Rule 5 draft in 2003 in December. So his 2004 was just absolutely insane. Um, So selected off waivers by the Rays, Purchased by the Royals, traded by the Royals to the Mets for Justin Huber. And then the Mets traded him and Ty Wigginton uh, and another prospect to the Pirates for Chris Benson and Jeff Kepinger, both Mets legends in their own right. Um, And then from there, he went on to debut for the Pirates, play for the Pirates for a while. And then uh, he really did, uh, you know, his biggest, uh, he, he made his biggest contributions as a Toronto Blue Jay um after he was signed as a free agent in 2017 so he he had just like a really crazy uh career and then he came back to the mets in uh
1: 2018 jose batista um i watched a video about him one time like from one of those channels that does like player breakdowns or team breakdowns. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: it basically talks about that, like how early in his career he was kind of like, he couldn't really hold down a job uh, in Mm -hmm. the majors. Um, He didn't really like, he always had some pop in his bat. Um, I don't know. Like you could kind of look, I, I don't know if you have his numbers pulled up, but I think that there was one year with Pittsburgh where he had like double digit home runs um i'm not sure about that it was a while ago that i watched the video
0: yeah i mean he hit he hit at least 10 home runs uh between 2006 and 2008 in his or yeah in his time with pittsburgh before he was traded to toronto um, yeah so, and really yeah, it was
1: like-
0: suddenly in toronto in, in like 2010 that's when he really became jose batista as we know him um led the league in home runs back to back years. So, I mean, yeah, it was like, it's almost as if he needed to make that change and whatever hitting coach he had in Toronto really just spoke to him in a way that he understood and just like took off.
1: Yeah. I, I think there was something where he made a tweak to his swing. Like he, he, he might've been one of those early launch angle kind of disciples where Mm. he tightened up his stance and he was able to elevate the ball more. And I think that was when it kind of just culminated, but um, it kind of makes you wonder about how many guys in baseball that
0: happens that are one tweak away. They might not
1: ever. Yeah. There's probably so many guys that never had the opportunity or never made the where it never clicked with them where they fully were able to, to get it together. So it's cool to see a person like Jose Bautista to do it. I mean, I mean he's had some, he had some big time home runs.
0: Yeah. Even a guy like Daniel Murphy, um, yeah. you know, made that tweak to his swing in 2015 and he became, he went from a very good hitter. He was already a good hitter to an elite hitter at that yep. point. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's too. yeah,
1: yeah. It's just such JD a, Martino.
0: exactly. It's just such a, you know, can be such a crapshoot sometimes, but uh, I don't want to take too much time on Joey bats. He's, he's amazing. I'm so glad he came back to the Mets ultimately uh, as a 37 year old. He he had some exciting moments, uh, but he was obviously at at the twilight of his career, but who, who you got?
1: So, yeah, we'll go a little quicker. Um, But the next person that pops into my mind is uh, I'll go from that same era. I'll do two guys, Matt Kemp and um, Irvin Santana. Who were both um they both played for I think the Mets were I can't remember if they were still in Las Vegas at that point. I think they were the Syracuse Mets though, because that yeah, so that was I think that was 2019. So it was like you had your Rajay Davis's, you had your Irvin Irvin Santana, Matt Kemp, like the like the triple A Syracuse roster was like I remember looking like at it. The, yeah.
0: yeah, it was it was one of those things I remember thinking to myself, like if If this was the Mets roster five years ago, we'd be a World Series contender.
1: <laughs> Will Pond symptoms, baby. Yeah. so and neither of those guys made it to the made it back to the majors with the Mets. I think that Matt Kemp and Irvin Santana, after they left the Mets, have both played again again in the majors. so but yeah. they didn't do it when they were in Queens. Um, so those are my two guys. What do you got next? Up next is another cup of coffee
0: guy. Um, The I guess it was a little bit more than a cup of coffee because he was with the Mets in 2006 and 2007. Um, But the ever perpetual Julio Franco, um, who was already a very old man when he arrived at the Mets at the ripe old age of 47 in 2006, Uh, and he did you know he was mostly just like a pinch hitter um you know off day kind of first baseman sort of role um it looks like he played a little bit of third base as well from time to time um but in total he played 135 games for the Mets hit 256 only 3 home runs 34 RBIs <laughs> but he stole 8 bases <laughs> at at 46 and 4 or 47 and 48 years old like that's that's pretty incredible. And I mean, talk about an iconic batting stance, one of my favorite wiffle ball stances. I felt like from that stance, I had more power, if, if that makes sense. Like I felt like I was absolutely mashing balls when I would hit him uh, using the Julio Franco stance. And um, he, he had a really good career himself. I mean, it speaks for himself. He played for 23 years um, and like I was hoping to, he, he would play until 50.
1: He was the Tom Brady of baseball. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite Jul- as good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, Julio Franco is awesome. I think he was, when he was uh, a Met, he had, he hit that home run and he became like the oldest player to like hit a home run in a major league game or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched another video on him too, where he, I, he um, still coaches. Like he's one of those guys where like, baseball is just his life like it's mm-hmm. in his blood like he's a baseball guy through and through um and the video is really interesting i mean the guy he still looks great like he's probably like in his 60s now but um he was awesome i really loved julio franco um and uh yeah it's a good one i, I didn't even think about him like earlier in the videos or earlier when we were talking before the before we recorded so yeah uh, julio franco is a good one for sure um, next up I have AJ Burnett um, who I think, a most people probably, I think most people probably forget that he was a Mets farm, farm hand um, and honestly like I remember having cards of his as a kid and like you go to the back of the card and it tells you like where a guy was drafted um, mm-hmm. and I remember it was like drafted by the Mets and I was like what? Like I had no idea and um, I was always like really bummed that they traded him but they traded him in a deal that that got the Mets out of lighter so I, I you can't really be too upset about that like that's a pretty yeah, kind that's of a, a pretty good deal yeah,
0: yeah i think you know win win for both sides right cuz was he traded to the pirates or or no no
1: he was uh, a marlin and then he was and then he was on the oh pirates that's right and Yankees. had to be
0: the had to be the marlins since that's where Al Leiter came from
1: yeah but he did play for the pirates later on and he had some good years with them and then he yeah. was with the Yankees for a bit. Um, but I, I know he had some really good years with the Pirates, too. Um, I think of him kind of more as a Pirate, honestly, than I do as a a, a Marlin. But I mean, he, spent, he, he was, spent
0: the most amount of time with the Marlins. I mean, I also remember him on, on those Yankees teams um, yep. in the late 2000s. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I always picture him in a Pittsburgh uniform, even though he, he only spent three seasons there.
1: He had some good years with them, though, I think. He did, yeah. Um, but, yeah, he was on those Marlins teams that had, like – like I think he was, in the, he was in the same rotation as, like, Josh Beckett and Donchell Willis. So they had, like, a strong yeah. Josh Johnson maybe a little bit, like, down the line. Um, and then I'll also just mention, because I just thought of it, but Sean Burnett, the former relief pitcher, also spent time with the Mets in recent years in their minor league system. Which was kind of weird, but AJ Burnett and Sean Burnett, the Mets are experts on the Burnetts. so <laughs> I'll pass it to you with that one.
0: Yeah, another uh, another kind of surprising farmhand that people don't really think about. Uh, Nelson Cruz was signed by the Mets as a, I believe, as a sixteen year old um, out of the Dominican Republic, and he he I don't think he ever really made it that high in the Mets organization before he was traded away. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like kind of looking at the back of a baseball card, like you said, and you see who they were drafted by and you, you look at his card and you're like, huh, he was drafted by the Mets. Like how the heck did they not keep him? Um, but this was back in 98. He was traded in 2000 for Ho- Jorge Valen- Valendia, um, Jorge and Valendia, he, baby. yeah, and he, I mean, Cruz obviously has been an incredible talent um, in his time in, in the major leagues. He's had a 14-year career so far, and, or 17-year career so far, and he's still uh, still doing it, still hitting bunches of home runs. He's one of those guys who I think I could see him becoming like a hitting coach uh, you know, post-playing career. Um, and... You know, he 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 had another kind of tumultuous um, farmhand upbringing, if you so to speak. Uh, he was an, eventually traded to the Rangers, who I think that that's who he um, that's who he came up with as a. Was, did he really come up as a twenty nine year old? No, he made his debut. Yeah, that's not true. He made his debut for the Brewers uh, at twenty four. It looks like so. I mean, he. He's had an incredible career, but another one of those guys, it's like,
1: hmm, who
0: would have thought he was drafted by the Mets?
1: Yeah, he was – well, that was – they traded him in 2000, right, for Jorge Volandia? For,
0: for Volandia, yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you look at those guys like – and every farm system, obviously, you have your misses. I mean, the Dodgers traded your Don Alvarez for, uh, I don't know, some relief pitcher a couple years ago
0: hmm
1: So it's one of those things where it just ha- the, it happens. Like wasn't Tatis with like
0: the White Sox or something.
1: Yeah, before- he was traded for big game, big game James, James Shields. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's insane. Yeah. And you know, obviously, like, you know, I, I had talked about it in the past of like people give them that shit for trading Kalinick and and how like the 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 White Sox traded away Tatis. And it's mm-hmm. like I, I understand – like, people had brought up how, like, you can't really compare because while Tatis has the same name as his father, like, he was not – he was not touted like Kelnick was when Cal like, at the time of sure, both. Yeah. Like, Tatis, like, really came into his own in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, Kelnick was already, like, a first-round pick and highly touted, and everyone was kind of like, what are you doing? Um but yeah, like Jordan Alvarez is a guy that I definitely think about in that respect. Um,
0: so that's what I think. Yeah. That's one of those things about baseball prospects in particular that's so unique is like you really don't know how a guy's going to turn out. Like Kalanick could be a total bust. Who knows? And I think if that's the case, I think the Mets are incredibly lucky. Like it's not you know I don't think they had any kind of foresight into what kind of player he was going to be uh, when they made that deal. But like if he turns out to be a bust. Who know? Like who knows? Um, and who knew that Tatis would turn into the superstar that he is today from the White Sox organization? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, definitely, it, it, it's the most one of the most unique things about the sport because you know you can trade draft picks in, in any other sport, and uh, you know in in American sports at least, and like it's not it's not quite the same as it is in baseball because you never really know what they're going to turn out to be.
1: So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I have two more. I'm going to, like, my last one, I'm going to clump, like, a few guys together. Um, Go for it. Right. Uh, but this one I'll just mention in passing, and that's Jose Quintana, who I don't know if a lot of people know was a Mets prospect. Um, and he was a guy who was a little bit of a late bloomer. Like, I don't think he came up as a Mets like through the Met system, but he did have a short period of time where he was in the Mets system before he really uh came into his own. And was it was it the White Sox where he really became like a really good pitcher or the Cub the Cubs?
0: Um I, I think it was both actually. Um I think he had good years for both.
1: He was I'm trying to think of like where he like really like came up though. I, I think it was like I think it was the White Sox. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was because the Cubs traded Eloy Jimenez to the to the White, the Sox, White Sox for Jose Quintana, because um, yeah. Eloy Jimenez was a was a Cubs prospect, um, but uh, Jose Quintana did have that did have a little bit of time in the Mets system, and there was like. There was a couple years there where he was he was a really really good pitcher. I mean, I don't even know if he's still in the league now, but he's he's like a just he's an innings eater now, but he uh, He was he was signed by the Pirates. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Where most players go to die. Yeah. Not literally, but their careers go to die.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if if there's a you know, if there's a saddest franchise in baseball award,
1: uh the Pirates definitely have to be in the running. I feel so bad for them, too, because they did have, like, even not that long ago, they were in the playoffs. They had some really good teams. Um, And, like, good young players, too. I don't don't really know what
0: they're doing. Like, how do you get rid of a Tyler Glasnow? I don't get it.
1: Tyler Glasnow, Austin Meadows, and Shane Baz for Chris Archer. Like, alone, like, Tyler Glasnow, I would not trade for Chris Archer. Ever. Like, ever. (laughs) Yeah. So... Yeah. Who do you want to – Who, who uh, who's next on your list? Um,
0: I'm kind of blanking. I know that we had a few that we had talked about that we haven't gotten to yet. Why don't you go again?
1: So this these are the last ones that I have. But we talked about it. I was going to just group them all into one category because they were spring training invites that never made it
0: hmm. like
1: past spring training. But those are Brett Boone, Andres Galarraga, Ruben Sierra, and Freddie Garcia, um, who are all with the Mets in spring training, but never played a regular season game for them. Um, and uh, I know that Brett Boone and Andres Galarraga retired. I guess Ruben Sierra more or less did because he he was reassigned to like minor league camp and then requested a release and then never played in the majors again. Mm-hmm. Um, but Freddie Garcia ended up going elsewhere and continuing his major league career. I don't know exactly what happened with that. like, But it was one of those things where you'd buy, like, MLB The Show or MVP Baseball, and the rosters didn't update like they do on the newer systems. So you'd have, yeah. like, your roster – and those guys I remember being on the Mets roster like in the, even though like they never ended up and Freddie Garcia was kind of good in the like in that game too like whatever that year that was 2009 maybe 2008 mm-hmm. um and I remember just like keeping him in the rotation in the game because he was he was not bad was good. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think um, I
0: actually did the same thing uh, back when they were making because I think that was when they were still making the 2k games of their next box guy my whole life so I'm I, I, this is the first MLB the show game I've ever been able to own is the most recent one. So, um, very pumped about that, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, (laughs) but I remember doing the same thing with Freddie Garcia, um, keeping him in the, in the rotation.
1: Um, and I'm just going to mention this one last guy because uh, he came into my mind. But Chan Ho Park, I think, pitched one game for them. That's the right.
0: Oh, that's a good one. That's a that's a perfect one
1: to end on. Yeah, Chan Ho yeah. Park. He got his tits lit in that game, <laughs> and, then never, and then he never pitched for them again. Oh my
0: God. Chan Ho Park. Oh, that's that's yeah, yeah. So thanks, Will Ponds, for. um, for giving us this idea or giving us the fodder to be able to come up with this idea.
1: <laughs> Fucking Fred <Fredwell pun. laughs> Um, I mean, so should I we remember judge.
0: some guys we've been remembering
1: guys this whole time? Yeah. Let's just, do, we'll do, we'll do one in one. All who
0: right. are you thinking about today? I, because of the only baseball going on being the Caribbean series. Um, I'm going with Dilson Herrera who helped lead Colombia to their first Caribbean series win. So big yeah, ups Dilson. to
1: Dilson. Yeah, Dilson. I, I was so pumped when the Mets got him in 2000. Uh, I guess that was 2013. when they Both him and Vic Vic Black. I liked both of those guys yeah. um, in that deal. Um, I will say um, let's see. I was looking at some Mets rosters from the past recently um, and I'm going to remember catcher Ronnie Paulino.
0: Oh, that's a good one.
1: Ronnie Paulino. He went, he had five hits in that Sunday night baseball game against the Phillies where like Osama Bin Laden was pronounced dead and like the Mets were like playing Sunday night baseball. Yeah. (laughs) So weird. (laughs) Yeah. And like they just like are talking about on the broadcast, but during that game, the Mets – like which was also a, like a 14-inning game. It was like a very strange night. But mm-hmm. Ronnie Paulino quietly had five hits that game. <laughs> and it was – I think it was his first game as a Met. So, it was just like super strange.
0: Congrats, Ronnie Paulino. Your moment, Your moment of fame in a Mets uniform. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right. Thank
1: you guys for listening. We'll catch you next week.
0: Yep. Right back here. Peace.